The journey God has for you will not be how you would have scripted it, but his script will bring you far greater joy than you could have ever imagined. Let me read that one more time. The journey God has for you will not be how you would have scripted it, but his script, meaning the script of God, will bring you far greater joy than you could have ever imagined. Uh, We're going to consider today uh, Apostle Paul's first missionary journey, which is largely in Acts chapter 13 and uh, all of Acts chapter 14. Uh, It was a journey that took roughly about three and a half years. It was a journey that traveled almost to 15 different cities, covering almost 1,500 miles. And one of the things that I want to really examine today as we walk through a snapshot of their journey is I want to ask the question, uh, is there really joy in the journey? Is there really joy in the journey? Because from face value, it would be easy to look at, man, they had a hard road. They got beaten up pretty good. They got persecuted again and again and again. And you might just consider your own journey of where you are right now, and you might just be thinking, I hear that phrase, there's joy in the journey, but it's got to be for someone else because it's just not for me. And so, again, I'll just repeat, the journey God has will not be how you would have scripted it, but his script is going to bring so much far greater, lasting, deeper joy to you. And so this morning, I just, I want to answer that one question, is there really joy in the journey? Uh, I've quoted this book before by Bob Goff called Love Does. If you're looking for uh, an inspirational read, uh, pick this book up. Uh, And he says this, when Jesus invites us on a journey, he shapes who we become with what happens along the way. When he invites you on a journey, uh, Jesus shapes who we are becoming with what happens along the way. So with what's happening right now in the midst of your journey, Jesus is using that to shape you. And so the question I wanted to ask as you consider the journey God has and the things that are happening right now, uh, the situations, the circumstances, the people that are on your path, as it were, are you becoming more joyful on this journey? So just Jesus has invited you on a journey, and he uses everything people situation, circumstances to shape us. So just as you wrestle with where you are in the midst of your journey, are you becoming more joyful? Or if you're honest, you find I'm getting more jaded. I'm getting more cynical. Uh, I'm getting more critical. I'm getting more anxious. And because I, my conviction, especially as I'm wrestling with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and, and their first missionary journey is, man, these guys got beat up but they had great, great, great joy. Um, I think a lot of us, uh, joy is very elusive because we look at our circumstances and declare, man, if things were not as they are, I would not be as I am. And that's an easy thing to say. If things were not as they are, I would not be as I am. And I'm more wrestling with, I think God is doing what he's doing to create in you something that you wouldn't have been able to script for yourself. Namely, teaching and showing us what it looks like to have unshakable joy. I wrote it down in my journal like this. God often uses the hardest and most painful things 
to produce in us unshakable joy. And so you might be in the midst of a season right now where it's just, it's marked by frustration. It might be marked by just hurt or pain or disappointment or discouragement. And I just wanted to hopefully encourage you that God uses those hard things, the painful things to produce in you, produce in me unshakable joy. Uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called um, Pursuit of Holiness, and he said this, God intends the Christian life to be a life of joy, not drudgery. And I just think, and I've been there, a lot of my Christian journey, a lot of my walk with God has been marked by drudgery, of just trying to get through this day, this week, and finding myself in frustrating situations with frustrating people, and it's just marked by drudgery. And I'm just convinced, especially in studying the the missionary journeys here, is I wasn't created for drudgery, and neither were you. We were created for joy. Um, So this morning, I wanted to share with you three things that I learned from Paul's first missionary uh, journey. And clearly, I can't cover everything. This is 15 cities, 1,500 miles, three and a half years. Uh, So I really wanted just to narrow it down and give a snapshot. What can we learn from Paul and Barnabas and their their journey of how did they get to the place of unshakable joy? And one of the things I'm excited to even share this with you is when you have unshakable joy, uh, it's going to impact, influence, inspire, and infect people around you. It will not be without impact. Uh, I love how Charles Spurgeon said it. When the heart is full of joy, it always allows its joy to escape. I just have this picture of what would it look like for us, each of us, to have joy escaping from us so that the men and women that are living in drudgery around us would actually catch a glimpse, would taste and see, man, there is something better. Would you tell me about the joy that you have on the journey that you are on? Uh, So I want to share with you three things uh, that I learned from Apostle Paul. We're going to spend some time in Acts 13, uh, as well as Acts 14. We'll put the verses up on the screen. Uh, But last week, Paul Barnabas, they were in Antioch of Pisidia, uh, and there were many who came to believe in Jesus as a result of their time uh, in that city. And uh, I want to read Acts. I'm I'm going to fly through a a few different verses here. And just try to stick with me and catch a glimpse, as it were, of what's happening with these men and these, with these people in these different cities. I'll start at uh, verse, chapter 13, verse 44 and 45. It says this, The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. And so they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Do you ever have someone slander you? say something about you that just was not true. And it wasn't necessarily just an untruth. They wanted to say something that would destroy you, something that would tear apart who you are, tear apart your character, get people to think things about you that were just not true. They were filled with jealousy, and so they slandered Paul, and they argued against whatever he said. Do you ever have someone in your life like that? No matter what you say, they just argue the opposite. goes on in verse 46. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So largely the Jewish leaders were the one who were filled with jealousy, began to slander. But the Gentiles, meaning the non-Jewish people, 
are listening, like, wait a minute, this is amazing. We can have a relationship with God not based on law or works, but just based on grace, on faith. And it says, when they heard this, they were very glad, filled with joy, and they thanked the Lord for his message. And verse 49, so the Lord's message spread throughout the region. Verse 50, when the Jews stirred up the influential religious um, women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. Imagine this. Amazing things are happening. People are coming to know the Lord, but you've got your people filled with jealousy who are now slandering you, and they've got a mob and incited against you to run you out of town. We go on in Acts chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul, Barnabas, went to the Jewish synagogue. They preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. And some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. You ever just feel like someone's mind that no matter what, to love them, to care for them, to reach out to them. Their mind is just so poisoned that when they look at you, they just they can't look beyond the poison that's in their heart towards you. And it, it goes on, it says, their minds uh, of the gent, uh, but the apostles, uh, what verse are we in? Great number of both joys believe. Verse 2, some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message, poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas, But the apostles stayed there a long time. They stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of God. Verse 5, but then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their local leaders, decided to attack and stone them. And when the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area, and there they preached the good news as well. I'm going to skip down all the way to verse 19 and 20 uh, in chapter 14. Again, they're preaching uh, amazing things. People are believing. Uh, But verse 19, then some of the Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, the two towns that had forced them to leave. They're following Paul and Barnabas and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up, went back into the town, and the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. I don't know what that would have looked like. This guy's dead. I'm just going to drag him by his arm out of town. I mean, Paul must have been completely just unconscious, battered and bruised from being stoned. So amazing things were happening on the journey, but... Numerous people coming to faith, but they've also been slandered by jealous leaders, attacked by an angry mob, had lies spread about them, attacked again with the threat of being stoned, and then eventually actually being stoned to the point of an apparent death. If all of this had happened to you on your journey, where do you think you would be? Do you think on your journey, you would be just filled with just intense pain uh, because of the persecution? How would you feel about the people in these cities? Like, if you consider the men and women in these cities, and consider the pain, consider the persecution, consider all the frustration and the disappointment, 
How would you feel about the people in each of these cities? Would your anger lead, lead you to avoid them, or would your joy lead you to love them? In your anger, would it lead you to avoid them, or would you be filled with joy to say, I'm still going to love them? Acts chapter 14, verse 21, 22 says this. Uh, again, he had just been stoned, left for dead. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. If you didn't catch that, they were like, we're going to go back to every single town. And the first thing that I, I want to share with you is uh, answering the question, is there really joy in the journey? Number one, I encourage you to write this down. There is joy in the journey when you help those who've hurt you see Jesus. There is joy in the journey when you help those who've hurt you to see Jesus. Clearly, these guys could have bailed and said, forget these cities, man. I want nothing to do with them. Yeah, there were some good things that happened, but we are not going back to these cities and dealing with all the slander and the persecution and the pain, physical pain, emotional pain. But when you're able to love those who do unlovely things, uh, there's joy. There's joy to be found in that. Uh, After being stoned, I want to ask this question. After being stoned, and left uh, for dead by the people in Lystra. It says in verse 20, But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. Now to me, that just doesn't seem like a really bright idea. The people just literally dragged my dead-looking body out of town and walked away. Like how evil do you have to be not only to throw a stone at somebody but then drag them thinking they're dead and then just walk away. I mean, you've got to be pretty messed up in your head and your heart to do that. So it just doesn't seem like conventional wisdom would say, yeah, just go back. I'm sure they've gotten over whatever their issue was to go back to those people. The question I wanted to ask in this is, clearly, Paul wanted to see those that stoned him, hey, I'm not dead. I'm actually still very much alive. But I wanted to ask the question, do you think that when he went back into town, do you think he was carrying stones with him? Do you think that he had stones physically in his hands ready to fight back? The people who had stoned him, do you think he went back into town with literal stones in his hands? Now, we tried to find some stones in the parking lot. And uh, apparently we don't have stones you'd actually find uh, over where Paul would have been. But this is still a pretty good-sized stone. And if I threw this at you and hit you in the head, hit you in the chest, I promise you it would hurt. If anyone wants to try to test me on this, just line up right there. I've got pretty good aim. I'm guessing you'd be ticked. I'm guessing if it was your first time at Genesis, you'd be like, I will remember that place for a long time. (laughs) But this is a, you know, these are smaller stones. 
But he had stones thrown at him to the point of they thought he was dead. But do you think when he went back into the town, he picked up stones and said, I'm ready. I am armed, ready to throw stones back at the same people who threw stones at me. I wrote it down like this in my journal. What robs many people from experiencing joy in the journey is the stones you're carrying around ready to throw at the people that have hurt you. And a lot of us are missing or lacking joy in our life, joy in our relationship with God, because our hands have stones in them. And we're just ready to throw the stones at this very same people who have hurt us. And as long as you are carrying stones, you will never experience joy, even if the stone actually hits. If I could could hit that person with what they hit me with, I would feel so much better. No, you won't. You'll feel worse. You will feel worse. Paul had a great reason to be bitter towards these people in each of these towns that he went back to for the pain that they had caused him both physically and emotionally. But there was a greater force at work with Paul, more powerful than his pain even, and it was just simply called grace. It was just simply called grace. Pain and hurt in our lives uh, is not without consequence to us and to those around us. One of the things that I've noticed in my own life is when I get so focused on my own hurt, so focused on my own pain, I become a blind man. And what I become blind to is not being able to see the amazing things that God is doing in my life. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul focused and Barnabas focused on their pain and their hurt? And the people that had stoned them, slandered them, were filled with jealousy, the emotional, physical pain, they would completely not have a testimony of, yeah, but what what about the countless number of people who met Jesus? Well, forget those people. Do you see the size of that rock? Did you hear, hear what they said about me? Did you catch the poison minds towards me? See, our pain and our hurt has a way of just blinding us to the things that are happening around us. And Paul wasn't blinded by his pain. Did he have it? Absolutely. Did he have hurt? Absolutely. He wasn't ignorant to these things, but he did not allow his pain and his hurt to blind him to the amazing things that God was doing with him and around him and through him. What's the cure then? And by the way, I know some of you have been hurt. I'm not trying to belittle your pain or say, suck it up, get over your hurt. But what is the cure? How do we get through our pain and our hurt that people have caused us? And again, my answer would just simply be this. Grace. Grace. If you can't give grace to the people in your life that have hurt you, that have thrown stones, that have slandered, that have been poisoned towards you, you will not have joy. Your journey will not be marked by joy. It will be and anger, and you walking around with stones in your hand, ready to throw them at the person who has hurt you. Let me ask the question, if you've been hurt, and I'm guessing you all have, by somebody. If you've been hurt, what do you want to see in that person's life? Do you, I mean, do you want to see them change? Do you want to see them transform so that they don't do it again? I wrote it down in my journal like this, hurt people hurt people, 
but hurt people who receive grace begin to heal and help people. Hurt people continue to hurt people. But it just takes one person to put the stone down and say, I don't want to hurt you. I want to love you. Yeah, did you hurt me? Yeah, you did. Did you slander? Were you poisoned? Did you throw a stone? Yeah, you did. But grace begins to heal people and it begins to help people. Uh, A great movie, if you've never seen it, is uh, Les Mis. Uh, Not the most recent one with the musical, but the really good one in uh, the 90s with um, Liam Neeson uh, playing the the character of uh, Jean Valjean. And if you know the story at all, uh, he was uh, he was a crook, uh, and a priest came along and tried to help him, uh, but he he beat the priest and ran off uh, with a lot of silver, a lot of money, and the cops caught Jean Valjean and they brought him back to the priest, and the priest says this to Jean Valjean, uh, and now don't you forget it, don't you ever forget it. You've promised to become a new man. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul. I have ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. And the remainder of Les Mis chronicles how Jean Valjean became a better man because of one man's act of grace. And if you're familiar with the story, familiar with the musical, familiar with the film... A recipient of mercy became a great giver of mercy. Paul didn't go back to these towns uh, to stone people. Uh, He went back to each of these towns to strengthen those uh, who had become believers, but to continue to preach to people a message of grace. So a question before I just move on. Is there anyone in your life who needs your grace extended to them? And would you be willing to put your stones down just to be a practical demonstration of the gospel of grace towards them? Is there somebody, a friend, a neighbor, a parent, a brother, a sister, is there somebody that just needs your grace? They don't need your stones. They need just grace extended to them. So would you be willing to put those stones down as it were? Because I've noticed it's really hard for people to hear a message of grace from an ungracious person. It's a really conflicting message. Let me tell you about grace. That's a really weird message because you're like a bitter, angry person. And it just, it doesn't make sense. So is there somebody in your life that just needs you to drop your stones? Uh, Milton Vincent wrote a great book called The Gospel Primer and he said this, Uh, Doing good and showing love to those who have wronged me is always the opposite of what my sinful flesh wants me to do. Nonetheless, when I remind myself of my sins against God and of his forgiving and generous grace towards me, I give the gospel an opportunity to reshape my perspective and to put me in a frame of mind wherein I actually desire to give this grace, same grace, to those who have wronged me. Because if you're a Christian and you've received God's grace in you, it is a contradiction to say, I, I'm going to throw stones. If you are a recipient of God's grace, uh, then no matter how bad the pain is, and I, I don't say this to belittle anyone's pain or hurt, but I say this, if you are a recipient of God's grace, uh, how dare you never be gracious to those that have hurt you? 
Because God never once looked at you and said, you know what, I'm done with you. Because when we sin against God, he says, I love you. And I will keep loving you. And I will keep giving more and more grace because I know grace leads to greater joy and a greater transformation. Uh, Before I wanted to uh, share the second point, um, I wanted to offer one more challenge on this. And I wanted to ask you to consider not just dropping the stones that are currently in your hand, but the image that I had, uh, and this was just early this morning, uh, was the stones that you're carrying in your back pocket. And it's the stones that, you know, I'm going to put these down, but I'm going to carry one in my back pocket just in case. And it's playing offense and defense. Uh, when someone offends you, I got a stone out of my hand, but I got one in my pocket and I'm ready to go. And so I just wanted, I just had this picture this morning of not what it would look like just to drop the stones in my hands, but to take the ones out of my pocket as well. It might seem like a a small point, but uh, when Paul went back to these towns, he didn't go carrying stones. And I see in Paul uh, an incredible joy in his journey uh, because he was able to help those who hurt him see Jesus. Uh, The second point I would share with you this morning is this. There is joy in the journey when you help those who misunderstand who you are, understand who God is. There is joy in the journey when you help those who misunderstand who you are, understand who God is. Uh, When Paul Barnabas were in Lystra, they came across a man who had been crippled since birth, and they healed this man. A man who had been crippled in the feet, it's scripture says, uh, the miraculous healing uh, that they performed. And this man began to walk. And the response uh, that the people had towards Paul and Barnabas was this, in Acts 14, verse 11 through 13. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. And they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Just seems to make sense. We got Zeus and Hermes amongst us. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside that town, so the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Okay, so we got a little bit of a misunderstanding here going on, and I don't know about you, but I don't like being misunderstood. How many times do you say in the span of a day or a week, man, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. And you always are finding in conversations, whether it's with your wife, your husband, a roommate, a neighbor, a coworker, man, I'm just so misunderstood. I think it drives drives me nuts. It's hard. Because why? We often want people to think more of us, not less of us. That's why we're always saying, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. That's not what I did. Why am I saying that? Well, because I don't want you to think less of me. I don't want you to think poorly of me. Now, what's really interesting is Paul and Barnabas were not being thought less of, they were being thought more of. And so I'm going to ask this question, Uh, we don't like to be thought less of, but would anyone have a problem with people thinking more highly of you and worshiping you? Now it's safe to say no one would probably be, I hope you wouldn't be as arrogant to say, yeah, I just want people to bow down and worship me, and if they want to bring some sacrifices, I'm okay with that. In our hearts, we might really desire that, but we might not say that because we wouldn't want to appear too prideful. But as I consider what's happening here in this situation, um, 
Paul and Barnabas are being lifted up on a pedestal. And before I, I share with you their response, is there anything in you that likes that? Is there anything in you that I'm, I actually like people thinking more highly of me than they probably should? When I, I, when, I, I, when I consider people looking at me, man, I want them to think I'm like the best stinking husband ever. I'm the best wife ever. I'm the best parent ever. I'm the best this, the best worker, the best neighbor. I'm the most generous person. We want people thinking so highly of us. Do you know the problem with that is? If your aim and focus is to get people thinking more highly of you, they're not going to see God. Why? Because you're directing all of their focus and all of their attention and all of their affection on you. And you're not worth worshiping. And neither am I. And this is what Paul and Barnabas, this was their response. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. I'm no different than you. And they go on to say, We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. I love just this example on the fly, like, gosh, what can I tell you? Like, it rained. That's a gift from God. The sun came out. That's a gift from God. The joy that you, that's from God. They didn't say, this is kind of cool. I love being worshipped. They didn't let it go on any longer than they possibly could. They tore their clothes in anger and frustration. Do not do what you're thinking of doing. But often when people start thinking more highly of us and we pursue that in people, we don't tear our clothes. We let it go on. And if we do that, we will prevent people ultimately from what they need to see most and understand most, and that's who God is. Here's the big problem with getting or wanting people to worship you. Not only is there no joy in that, but when they no longer like you, you know what they're going to do? They're going to pick up stones to kill you. The same crowd that was like, we love you, Zeus and Hermes. We're going to go get our animals. We'll sacrifice them. We'll get our wreaths because that's how we roll. And we're going to present them to you. But how quickly... The ones who were just loving and loving and worshiping and pedestal in the next verse, in verse 19. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowds to their sides. It's not Zeus. That's not Hermes. And they slandered them, and they poisoned their minds. And then it goes on, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. And this is where the vicious cycle just begins. They want to kill you, and so you work harder to get them to love you. No, I don't want you to think less of me. I don't want you to, no, I'm going to work as hard as I can, so you're not wanting to kill me, as it were. I want you to love me. And, and by the way, that cycle of 
disappointing people, then working hard to get their affirmation and their approval, and then you get it for a while, and then they don't like you anymore, and then you got to work harder to get it again. Man, there is no joy in that journey. Where the joy comes from is just simply when you help those who must understand who you are, understand who God is. So your focus is, I don't care what you think of me, but I do care what you think about God. And I've come to tell you the good news, that God is good. He's real. He's powerful. He knows you. He cares about you. So my question, the people in your life that you really, you want their approval, who is that? Who is the person in your life that you just, you want them to think more of you? You want them to put you up on a pedestal, as it were. Who is that person? And as I was thinking about this question, um, this is what came to mind. Is that person who you're thinking about, how close to God are they? Do they know who Jesus is? Are they walking with Jesus in a way that is healthy and worshipful and honoring? And this might not be true in every instance, but my simple conclusion was the people that we often want the most to lift us up on a pedestal, they're probably not walking with God. Why? Because you're getting in their way. Because all you're trying to do is get their attention on you. And when you do that, they will not be able to see the greatness of who God is. How do I get out of the way so that people can see God? Uh, One of the ways is grow in your understanding of who God is. Because as, as, as Paul mentioned, he's the creator of all things, of heaven and earth. The more you understand who God is, you're like, wow, I'm not him. I'm not even close. And as you grow in the depth and understanding and knowledge of who God is, you will be amazed with who God is. And you want other people to know who he is as well. And the second way of how we can get out of the way so people can understand and see God is just simply be vocal. They tore their clothes. No, don't think that. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you who he is. And so a question before I just finish with the third point is just simply this. Who are you talking to about God? In your circle right now, in your own family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, who are you talking to about God? Paul and Barnabas, they were incredibly vocal. No, this is who God is. I think a lot of our conversations are more man-centered, self-centered, me-centered, I-centered, and not God-centered. Why? Well, because we want people to lift us up. Paul said, no, I don't want to be lifted up. I don't want to be worshipped. I'm not worthy of worship. I'm just like you, which means you're not worthy of worship either. And so he presents to them, but God is. My third and final point, we finish with this is number three, there is joy in the journey when you celebrate all that God is doing with those who've chosen to travel this journey with you. One more time, there is joy in the journey when you celebrate all that God is doing with those who've chosen to travel this journey with you. Three and a half years after they were sent out by the church in Antioch, they returned. It says in verse 26 through 28, Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. 
And the believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. And upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and they reported everything that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with a long time, uh, stayed with the believers for a long time. Man, I imagine that conversation went on and on for a long time. Tell us again what you saw God do. Hey, let me share with you what God did here while you were gone. And people were strengthened, people were encouraged, and joy was starting to be a reality, unshakable joy. Do, I th- do, you, do you think they told him about the stoning? Yeah, absolutely. I think Paul was like, man, you guys, they thought I was dead. Uh-uh. <laughs> this is what God did. Completely restored me. There is joy in the journey when you celebrate all that God is doing with those who've chosen to travel this journey with you. The last question for you would just be this. Who are you celebrating with right now? Who knows what God's doing in your life? And who are you even asking that question to? Just yesterday alone, there was about uh, 100, uh, 100 folks here for the remarriage conference and it was so fun throughout the day, just being able to talk to lots of people I didn't know, I had never met before, and just was able to celebrate with people I did not know what God was already doing with them that day. It is just so joyful to celebrate with somebody else what God is doing in their life. And it just takes you asking the question, hey, what's God doing in your life right now? If you're in a community group, take time this week to celebrate. Hey, what's God doing with you right now? Because we want to celebrate with you. I love how St. Augustine said it this, when large numbers of people share their joy in common, the happiness of each is greater because each adds fuel to the other's flame. Your joy spurs on my joy. And my joy will fan your joy as well. This was a lot to cover uh, for certain this morning um, in looking at all of Paul's missionary, first missionary's journey Uh, but I'm convinced uh, that the script I would have had would not have left me with with unshakable joy. But the script that God has for you and the script that God has for me is one that will leave you saying, you know what, it is a hard road, but there is joy in this journey. 